Today on this edition of the Four City Church Podcast, Chad Brugman has part one of the new series titled Subversive with a message, The Ministry of Reconciliation. Sharman Pittman has the introduction. Black History Month to me um, has kind of a dual meaning. I think uh, the sim- the symbolism of it is great. You know, it acknowledges uh, black or African Americans' contribution to American society. But I also think on the flip side of that, it also shows the plight and, and the, the trauma with no real resolve. Racial tension in the South is more in your face. You, you kind of know, like, you know not to go. Grandma or mama and daddy will tell you, okay, this particular t- t- city, you don't want to go in there late at night. You don't want to go, even in the daytime, you're going to get looked at a certain way. Up here, I kind of noticed the subtleness of it, you know, where it's kind of like, it's not blatant, but I can tell that it's like, okay, I'm being tolerated, not welcome. I'll tolerate you, but to say that you're welcome, that's a different story. Because God made us all different for a reason, but the difference shouldn't be a uh, divide. It should be a bridge. Because it's like, oh, where you're different at, I'm different, and we can come together and create really something special. We all, don't care what the color of your skin is, have our own inner demons. We have our own inner bias. We have our own inner trauma that we process the world through that lens. And it affects how we navigate. It's a self-work first. Before we can work on communities, before we can work on building these great things, we got to work on ourselves. Because if we don't, then the building becomes a reflection of what's internal. It's easy to look at everybody else and say, oh, this needs fixing. But what do I need fixing? Like, let me look in the mirror. Let me cut the flashlights on in my head and in my mind the way I perceive things. Like, do I perceive things out of a place of lack, trauma, or, or rejection, and all of these different things that we go through that builds the foundation as kids first? So, working on that. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. For the three of you who don't know who Sharman is, he's the guy down here. He's the hype man. He's the guy. Every, every church needs a Sharman. Every time I come in here, I'm happier because of you. How are you guys all doing? Are you doing wonderful? Okay, I'll take that. I'm, I'm doing great. I'm fired up and excited to be here. Every time I'm back here, it's an incredible honor. This one's a little extra special for me because uh, when I travel most of the time, because like you know, we have four kids at home, uh, my wife doesn't get to come with me, but this time she got to come with me, and I am so grateful for that. So could I just real quick take some liberty, and could I introduce you to her just real fast? She's going to kill me for this because she's super shy, but she's in the middle right back there. Will you stand up, Rachel? Come on. Stand up. Come on. Come on. That's my beautiful wife. And I love her almost all the time. She's so sweet. Almost all the time. Hey, I want to say this right out of the shoots. This is an incredible honor and privilege. Anytime I get to stand up here and do this, you guys know that because I tell you that. But this is an extra special honor and privilege this month and in this series because of what it, what it stands for. Uh, your leader, Eric Parks, who's one of my best friends and who I'm so proud of, has been talking about this series for a long time because it is, we love him. It's so near and dear to the heart of who he is, and it's a heart of Jesus. And we are going for the next month to highlight and celebrate something super precious 
uh, in our country, which is called Black History Month. And we are going to flesh that out through the Gospels of Jesus Christ. And we're going to talk about issues of race and racial reconciliation. You know, the Apostle Paul said, uh, ultimately, as one of our first pastors, he said that after the cross of Jesus has infused your heart and your life, we are now called to the ministry, he says, of reconciliation. That's what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus, the ministry of reconciliation. And one of the, for all the amazing things in this country and all the blessings, and there's so many beautiful things about it, we, we still got a past, right? It's the same as your own personal life, right? For all the blessing you are, for all the gifting you are, for the, for the beauty that is you right now, we all have a past and there's some history in there that we have to confront. And there's some trauma there and there's some, some, some hypocrisy there. And there's, there's this, this, this beautiful masterpiece called the human experience. Right, And so we're going to do that for the next month. We are going to celebrate unapologetically Black History Month. And I just want to, first of all, speak to my African mother, uh, African mothers, my African, I have a lot of African mothers, my African American brothers and sisters. I want to speak to you first. And I just want to say on behalf of the whole staff, I hope you feel so loved and so cherished. And I heard, I hope you feel so um, protected and defended in this next month because this is what the church is here to do. This is what we do for everyone. And for this particular month, we are just going to highlight the beauty and the magnetism and the dynamism that is the African-American population. For the Latino brothers and sisters, I, I, just, I know it's not, it's not your, your month on this one, but I just hope you feel so loved and cherished and celebrated because here's why I say this. For, for, for Asian, for uh, uh, um American Indian, for anyone that comes in here that, that is not white, I hope you feel so celebrated. And I know what the white people are thinking, well, what about us? Like, right? Like, no, here's the deal. This is a, look around real quick, look around, no shocker. This is a predominantly white church, okay? It just is what it is. No one, it just, it's just the way it happened, right? But here's the deal. Heaven's not gonna be a predominantly white heaven. We know this, right? And so what we want to do as leaders of a church is we want to build a tapestry. We want to build a landscape that looks more and more, because we're to call heaven to earth, it looks more and more like heaven. And you don't just do that every now and then by wishing about it or thinking about it. You make moves in that direction. And so you know what we're going to do is in this next month is, is we are going to, to talk about the issue of the ministry of reconciliation. And I remember when this really hit me hard. And, and I really said, God, I have got to change. I've got to do more. I've got to speak up, God. You've given me a little, a little platform, and God, I want to use it well for your glory. What can I do? It was 2017. Uh, Eric and I were still pastoring at our church back home called Red Rocks Church in Denver, uh, Colorado. And I was preparing on a Saturday night, f finishing touches on some notes for a sermon that I was about to do. And it was a Compassion Sunday, and we were going to raise a bunch of money for kids around the world, and it was great. And then I had the news on in the background. And it said, breaking news, right? Which they literally say about everything. But it was breaking news. And, and I looked up and there was, a, there was a parade going on, a march going on in, in Charlottesville, Virginia. This was back in 2017. And, and it, was a, it was a legal parade. It was, it, was, it was legal according to freedom of speech. But in my opinion, highly inappropriate. It was a, a bunch of white nationalists that were marching for white pride and that were marching for the white race. And when I was watching the news, I noticed that uh, a lady had been ran over by someone who furiously drove through there and had hit her in a rage. And I'm just literally thinking what we all think when we see, like, Jesus, will you just please come back and end this mess? Like, will you just please come back? 
And then I saw something that even took it to a whole nother level. There was an image that was taken of an African-American police officer who was guarding the white supremacist right to free speech. And something in me just erupted. Something in me got just righteously angry watching this beautiful black man literally doing his job with integrity to guard the rights of the free speech of the people who were literally, who would have been fine if he was wiped off the face of the earth and everyone who looks like him. You understand that? And I'm just sitting there going, Jesus, we have to do more. We, the church, have to do more. We have to speak up. We have to uh, continue to confront these issues in America because this is 2017. This wasn't like 1830. This is 2017 where stuff like that is still happening. And I remember I was supposed to preach a really important message and raise a lot of money at our church that day, but I just went up that day and I interrupted the message and I want to play that, a soundbite of that message for you because not only was that the heart, I feel it in the deepest parts of my gut, not only was that the heart way back then for the church I was at in Colorado, I know that I know that I know it's the heart for the church globally and in our context, it's the heart for this beautiful city called Rockford, Illinois. It's the ministry of reconciliation. So when you hear me say Red Rocks a couple times, would you just ignore that and would you superimpose the word forest city into it? Let's watch this. Right now, uh, there's something really unfortunate going on in our country, and I don't want to miss it. And so this isn't part of what this Sunday and Saturday is supposed to be about, but I would be remiss in not doing my pastoral job if I didn't just break for one second at all of our campuses. I want you to listen to me. It's men and women that got behind bars as well in this Virginia and Charles. Charleston, um, Charlottesville, excuse me, Virginia, there was a protest that started out peaceful, inappropriate protest, white supremacists and a group of people fighting for the white race. And it got ugly to the point where the governor had to declare a state of emergency there. At least one person's already been dead. Car drove straight into a big crowd of protesters. And I saw an African-American police officer standing there guarding those white supremacists right to meet and it pissed me off pardon my French but I'm not going to act like this is okay we have a predominantly white church which means we have an incredible responsibility to the African Americans and the Latinos, and anybody of any pigment that is not white. We have an incredible gift and responsibility to everyone that walks through our doors. That does not have white pigment. Pigment to God is precious. And racism in any form is deeply demonic. It's not unfortunate, it's not sad, it's not, oh shucks, it's demonic, okay? No balancing statements. So here's the, here's, here's the role we get to play as a predominantly white church. When someone that is Latino or Asian, particularly right now because of the history, African-American, chooses to trust Red Rocks with their attendance, 
we have an incredible gospel responsibility to love them with what I call, whether it's theologically correct or not, I don't care, what I call a disproportionate amount of grace. You understand that? Like, we, like, like there should be a love we have for, for anybody that walks through these doors. And, and says, you know, I know my pigment's different. I know this isn't a, a particularly uh, black or Asian or Latino culture, but it's predominantly white. But I'm going to trust this place because I think Jesus is there and I think the Holy Spirit's there. Well, we have a Holy Spirit, Jesus responsibility to do what Jesus did for all kinds of people that were being ousted for completely unjust reasons to come in and show them. He showed that lady, that Samaritan woman, a disproportionate level of grace. And what a privilege we get to be able to do that. This is not a political stance. Don't hear me at all. Don't write me. I'm not writing you back. I don't care. This is a gospel issue. Nothing to do with politics in our country. It has to do with a long-standing demonic divide of racism and we, the church, get to set the standard of how we're going to act. And my job as a person with white pigment is to look at everybody with pigment that does not look like mine and to give them with joy a disproportionate amount of love and grace as my brothers and sisters in Christ because make no mistake about it, pigment was sovereignly chosen by God and every piece of pigment, no matter what color it is, is profoundly special to the creator of the universe. Man, I just want to challenge you at all of our campuses if you see somebody in any color, in any different color, man, let's just have a love fest this weekend. Let's fight back with love. Don't fight back with the weapons of this world. Let's fight back with love, man. You see someone of a different color, I get out of your comfort zone. Who cares? You just go and hug them and say how happy you are to see them. Can we do that? Men and women that got behind bars, I'm talking to you as well. I don't care what kind of divides are there. You're different now because you've been changed behind those bars. You can do it as well. We're going to show some love. We're going to fight back with what we've been given. And that's unconditional, radical love of Jesus. I've said my piece. We better pray or I'm going to get fired. You guys at all campuses, let's pray and then we'll sit and we'll get into the word of God. God, I pray that you would take this, make this, this charge church. that you have put so deeply in my heart to come out as a pastor here and to speak over our congregation. God, we pray for everyone involved in what's going down right now in Virginia. God, we pray that your spirit and your hand would be upon them. God, we pray that your, your grace would would be bigger than all of the evil that's trying to make its way in. Satan, we come against you in the name and the power and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. You have lost authority and we pray in the name of Jesus that you would get out of here and that you would quit meddling between people as Jesus is bringing us back together. God, I pray that we would be a church of love. I pray that we would be a church of courage. I pray that we would be a church that does what is right, even when it costs us something. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. And I pray that as we begin to speak your word uh, this weekend, God, that you would do powerful things through Red Rocks Church, that we wouldn't just come to church, but we would walk out and we would actually be the church. We pray all this and we solidify all this in the name of Jesus. And everyone at every campus said... Amen. 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 <clears throat> so I want to say one thing as we get into some scriptures. 
and start talking about this for all, for all my white brothers and sisters. I know, I know what you're thinking because I is, I is one of you, all right? Like in a predominantly white church, like, oh, we're about to take it for the next month. Here we go. Like, you know, buckle up because we're, we're just getting, no, 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 no. That's not gonna happen for the next month. We're, we're gonna be in a posture of humility. We're gonna be in a posture of grace. We're gonna be in a posture of not we have to do this, we get to do this. Like it's exciting, it's, it's a joy when you start jumping on this train of reconciliation because it's a ministry and it honors the heart of Jesus. So just know this, this isn't gonna be some big month-long guilt trip for those of you who are white in here so that we can honor. We're not gonna, we're not gonna do that. We're not gonna distract from the honor of Black History Month by doing that. We're not gonna do what I call the Sarah McLaughlin effect. You guys know what I'm talking about? You ever, you remember at 2.30 in the morning watching that Sarah McLaughlin commercial where she's helping like dogs that have been through like the worst abuse in the history and, and cats and all of that stuff and it's 2.30 in the morning and they're trying to raise money for it and she's singing in the background, you know, in the arms of the angels fly away. And there's a dog with, with two legs only and a cat with one eye sitting right next to her and they're showing B-roll of the dog like scooting across the floor. Stay away from here. And, uh, and you know, and I'm just like, I, I'm like, I'm calling, you know, to sponsor Patches, the cat with one eye. And I don't even like cats, y'all. I don't like cats, but in that moment, I'm like, there was just this immense amount of like over, it's overwhelming. And it's like, do whatever, right? Like, please, please understand this is not going to be a house of guilt in the next month for white brothers. This is gonna be a house of conviction through the power of the Holy Spirit and motivation and an excitement that we get to be a part of this. Like dreaming about what Rockford could continue to look like as more and more heaven comes to earth. That's the goal. About two hours after I preached that message that I showed you that soundbite to, I, I made a pastoral mistake that you never do. I read my emails. And the first email I saw, you know how they have the captions so you know what you're about to read? The first email I saw, it just said this, preach the gospel, just preach the gospel. And it was a white brother from the church, um, grumpy and angry, probably at a lot of things, but he just, just went on this tirade and, and just told me about how he doesn't come to church to hear about race and he doesn't hear to come to church to hear about politics and he doesn't come to church to hear about this or that. He just wants to preach the good old fashioned gospel, right? And so if you're taking notes for these next few minutes, I've titled the rest of this message, Just Preach the Gospel. I think I'm going to do that. Luke chapter 4. Jesus, it says, returned to Galilee. This is his hometown, right? This is a big deal. Everyone now has known Jesus because they've seen enough of the ministry and heard enough of the ministry of Jesus. And this is the first time he's coming back to his hometown. This is like the first time Fred Van Fleet came back to the 815, right? Like, aren't you proud of Fred Van Fleet? Isn't it cool to be from a city where that good of a basketball player is? Like, it's like Fred coming back and everyone, like, I, I, don't, I don't live in Rockford and I hear, I hear my friends from Rockford talking about it. There's just this, right, source of pride because someone from the hometown just went out and did something otherworldly and amazing. It's it, it's that, but it's Jesus. Like, on a, no offense to Fred, he's amazing, but this is on a whole nother level. He returns to Galilee, and here's, here it goes, in the power of the Spirit. Look out. News about him spread through the whole countryside, and he was teaching in their synagogues. And here, here's how his teachings initially went. Everyone praised him. Man, this guy's good. We love when this guy's here. He's good. Then he went to Nazareth, even getting more personal where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. And the temple attendant handed him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and unrolling it, 
he found the place where it is written, and now we're about to read what in our Bibles, they didn't have chapters and verses back then, it was just a scroll, but we now have it as the famous Isaiah chapter 61, and he just reads a, a, a tiny, about a tenth of the whole chapter, and here's what he chooses to read. He gets up, so picture Jesus, it's like church like this, got a whole group of people in temple, they're fixed on this guy who supposedly is opening the eyes of the blind and healing deaf people and raising people from the dead and casting out demons. You wanna hear what that guy has to say, right? Here's what he says. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He then rolled up the scroll as they would do when they were done reading. He gave it back to the attendant and sat down and this is where he would give his commentary based on the scriptures much like we do that he just read. And he began by saying to them, this is a good intro line when you actually that person, he goes, today in your hearing, this scripture is fulfilled. Like, I'm the guy. Now you gotta understand Isaiah 61, what we know of it now, was, was sacred text to them in this sense. This is what they had been praying for, the Jews, and believing for, for, for a couple millennia now. They were waiting on this Messiah that was going to come, overthrow in their mind government, sit on thrones, take over Jerusalem, never have a problem again in the world. And in their minds, they had been trained this way, just like I'll say here in a second, I think you and I are trained this way from birth. They had been trained, it was all for the Jews, right? And this stuff. So, so imagine he's going he's gonna, to uh, uh, proclaim good news to us. He's going to uh, proclaim freedom for prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind. We've already seen him doing some of this. He's going to set the oppressed free. They were greatly uh, depressed. They would have been, but oppressed in first century Judea. They're going to come and he's going to proclaim the year of Jubilee, the year of the Lord's favor where debts are canceled. Like this sermon's good. This is like just telling all of us what we want to hear, right? This is Jesus just saying, this is, this is what every human wants. The problem though is the Jews struggle with this thing that we humans have been struggling with since, since, since the fall of man, since Adam and Eve went east of Eden. It's this thing called tribalism. Because see, God chose the Jews in his sovereignty and starting with Abraham to do something really beautiful. He chose to use them through Abraham and then this nation that would come out of him. They chose, God chose to use them as a seed, right? God does everything seed time and harvest. That's God's rhythm. Everything comes from a seed and the goal of one seed is always to produce what? More seeds, harvest. To provide, because he's Jehovah, he's the great provider, right? So Israel, you know, by the time first century Judea is here, in their minds now, they have created a system and a religion where they assume they're the flower in the garden, not the seed in the soil. See, God loves the Jews. There's a special, there's a special place for them all over Scripture. It's just, it's just there. It's because they had to be the, the seed. They had to die so the harvest could be. They had to go through some stuff so the rest of the world could come back into the fullness of what God originally intended for us. The problem over time, and this is what happens with religious institutions, if we're not careful, is seeds start to think that they're just the flower. They're the, they're the end and not the means to the end. God was using the nation of Israel to birth the world back to him, not just to give the nation of Israel some big holy party while every other nation, tribe, ethnicity, and color struggles. You understand that? But, but at this point, they thought that this whole Isaiah 61 was strictly for the Jewish nation, and Jesus is coming to do what this series is called, which he always did, was subvert the systems that had gotten far away from God's heart 
to start coming and calling tribalism for what it is. Listen, none of us get tribal because we have bad hearts and mean to. Maybe, maybe few people do, but most of us in this room, do you know why you know, a tribalism is so powerful? Is because we were born into a sinful world and this world is crazy sometimes, is it not? This, I, I think people with great hearts, we tribe up with people that look the most like us. This is why Dr. Martin Luther King has the famous quote, the most segregated hour of the day in America is 10 a.m. on Sunday morning, right? It's not because everyone's just as bad as we sometimes think. It's because we were taught to, to, to protect ourselves because this world has some chaotic things going on, right? And so from birth, it's who, do, who looks like me, who thinks like me, who acts like me, who votes like me, who dresses like me, who talks like me, who works where I work, who's in my socioeconomic statuses, who's not, right? And we, we get these caste systems and we get these tribes. And listen to me, this is what Jesus never intended to happen. Did he intend for color? Yes. He is a tap, he is an artist. He is painting something magnificent and dynamic and beautiful. That's why we, one, of the, one of the worst things we white people with good intentions can do to prove, I'm not racist, I don't see color. And it's like, no, God's like, you don't see my painting? Like, it, uh, color's a beautiful thing. Get to know it. It's gonna make the picture look right when all of the colors come together in unity and harmony. But because of sin and because the tribalism that sin creates and the nationalism that sin creates, it separates the tapestry of God from each other. And we go to war with each other instead of bringing each other together. And when Jesus comes and preaches this sermon, he is drawing the most subversive line in the sand that I think is in the history of the world. Listen to what happens. He gives that. Now, he says this. The Jews are in the mindset of, did you just hear all those promises for you and me? He's finally here. This is amazing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. But the problem is that was only the first half of Jesus' sermon like this is mine. Pack a lunch. You're like, please don't talk that long, but I'm going to go. Here we go. This was the first half. But then they also, in the, it, it, well, maybe like some of you right now as I'm talking, you're like, this sounds, this sounds like God's heart, but I got some critical questions. I got some questions right now. They had a question in the middle of the sermon, and Jesus could discern their thoughts. And so he speaks to that question because here's what they're thinking. Isn't this Joseph's son? <laughs> like, he's just like us, just like Fred's, like Fred Van Fleet. He's just a Rockford guy. He bleeds his red in you and I. He just happens to have this amazing gift that, that, that made him a star on the basketball court. Jesus, though, just, just has this, this supernatural authority and this supernatural way of healing people that nobody else did, but they're going, they're offended in their senses because how come this carpenter's son, Joe's just like us, blue collar, man. And Jesus is discerning their thoughts and he, he sees what they're going through. And Jesus said to them this, the, the sermon takes a little turn real quick, part two of the sermon. Surely you will quote this proverb to me. He's saying it to the people. Physician, heal yourself. In other words, they're like, show us, keep showing off, keep doing your Isaiah 61 thing. We want more of this. And you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we've heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet. Jesus is going out of preaching mode and now he's going into prophet mode and people are pretty kind to preachers, but we traditionally don't love prophets too much, right? Prophets don't have a lot of friends. Prophets don't make a lot of friends and influence people, right? Like, like prophets speak truth even when that truth is piercing and even when that truth is difficult and Jesus is about to say some truth to them that is difficult and convicting to hear, but his motive for them was love and restoration and reconciliation. He says, truly I tell you, he continued, 
No prophet is accepted in his hometown. He's foreshadowing. I'm not about to be either. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut up for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of the Israelites, but to who? A widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. Translation, Elijah, the most esteemed prophet in the history of Israel as Jesus is preaching about him in the temple and using his him as an example, reminds him when you most needed in that, that famine, when you most needed God's help, he didn't go to anybody in Israel. He went where? To their enemy. He went to Sidon, to a helpless, marginalized little widow who could not help herself, who could not defend herself. God, God sent the prophet to go and help her and defend her, Right? But Israel thinks they're the flower, not the seed. And so you know how offended they are by this? You know what Jesus is saying? He's foreshadowing, I'm also, and we know later from the text, I'm not gonna do miracles in this, this hometown because you have missed completely the heart of God. You have thought it's all about you. So he gives them, a, he doubles down. Jesus, what prophets often do, double down. He said um, this now. And there were many in Israel, here's a second example, with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet, another sacred prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed in the Jewish community, only who? Naaman, uh-oh, the Syrian, the enemy, the Gentile. You remember how people were speaking well of him after he gave the whole Isaiah 61 discourse before he would flesh it out and what he was actually getting at? You know, everyone was speaking well of him and they were amazed. Listen to what could happen in about 15 minutes of a sermon when the prophet shows up in town. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off a cliff. They wanted to throw the creator of the universe off a cliff after this sermon, but he walked right through the crowd and went on his way because Jesus in the end will always get his way. But you know what was so interesting to me? When Jesus preaches the, the part of the gospel that speaks to every human being, how quickly we make it all just about us and not about the corporate. We're, we're, we're just, we just tend to do that as humans. When he's preaching that first half, people are lionizing him. This guy's the man. We knew this guy, and he's our hometown guy. He's our homie, right? We love this guy. But as soon as Jesus shows us how that gospel is for everyone, and if it's not good for everyone, then the gospel will not be good for anyone. If, 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 if you're mad, Israel, that I'm doing this for Gentiles and for your enemies, if you're mad that I'm showing love and compassion and mercy and empathy for your enemies, guess what? It's going to hinder me from doing what I want to do in your place. Listen to me. This is so important for a city. When we take serious what from Eric, Pastor Eric on down is taking serious at this church, when we take serious the ministry of reconciliation, not what they should do for me, but when I, as Christ follower, a receiver of mercy, say, God, now how can I go show mercy to other people? Because blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. When we ask that question as individuals, and then we do it as a church collectively, the power of God starts to show up in ways that he won't otherwise. When the ministry, when the ministry, this is so important, I believe this with every fiber of my being, when the ministry of reconciliation 
is an integral part of a church's DNA, the power of God will fall. The miracles of Jesus will start to take place. I think perhaps one of the biggest ways the American church is missing so much of the power of God right now is because 10 a.m. on Sunday morning is still the most sacred hour of the week. I really do. And, and I, I'm, I'm just the type of guy, I don't do the guilt thing. I don't do the, we all suck and we need to do blah, blah, blah. I, here, here's what I do. I, I just do this. Why wouldn't we want to be a part of something that is going to usher in the presence of God? Why wouldn't we? Right? Why wouldn't we want to be the people that, that, that just ask Jesus to bring heaven to earth? But, but you know, when we're praying that prayer, what we're actually asking to do is to be formed into that vessel. We're not asking God, like when God chooses to crack the heavens open sometimes like he does and just do supernatural things instantaneous. Isn't that fun when that happens? But for every time he does that, there's hundreds of times where he says, no, you're the vessel. No, you're the, you're the way this is going to flow. No, this isn't just me cracking open the heavens and going, you know, healing, reconciliation, everyone kumbaya again, and it just happens. He's saying, no, my people are gonna be preparing for heaven as my disciples because in heaven, none of this is gonna be going on. But Jesus could have said, just, just pray for me to come back. And listen, we all want Jesus to come back. But the Bible makes it so clear, only the Father. Jesus goes, I don't even know when he's coming back. I don't even know when he's sending me back the second time. That's not the point. The point is, call heaven down to earth. And churches that start to do that, not just in their language, but with their actions. This is why I'm so proud, and I'm going to take a minute. We, we normally don't do this stuff, but I'm going to have a love fest with Eric. I'm so stinking proud of him and Chrissy for the vision they're bringing to this church. So proud. Because he didn't, he put his money where his mouth was. This is, so, this is church baseball. None of you guys will care, but I'll, I'll say this to make a point. When, when new pastors take over a church, it, it's hard because sometimes people have to be let go and sometimes new people come on. Like It's like a, a new manager wanting to get some new guys on his team that he's familiar with, right? It, it's, just, it's a necessary part, but it's also a, a difficult part because it denotes change, right? And we're horrible with change. But when you look at some of the changes Eric has made since day one of being here, almost every one of his hires is not white. We get to be led by some of my favorite worship leaders in the nation. Like tonight, we get to be led in worship by people like Carrington and Lauren and a bunch of friends they brought around to worship with us. Do you know in a predominantly white church, the standard that that's setting, do you understand the message we're giving to heaven, which is start with us, we'll do this? Like we're saying, like, God, we don't want to be, we don't want to be Nazareth. We don't want to be uh, Galilee where you wouldn't do miracles because they were missing the point so much, right? And instead, you go and find people on the outskirts, right? And you just do it for them. See, here's the deal. Jesus wants to do them for everyone. But Jesus has this way. Remember in the video when I said uh, I was too fired up and young and dumb and, 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 I, and I just said, I don't even know if this is theologically correct and I don't care. Well, you should care if it's theologically correct. But I go, Jesus just shows a disproportionate amount of love, right? And well, I've done some legwork in the last four or five years since then. And, and can I tell you, it's all over scripture. The disproportionate amount of grace Jesus chooses to show to, to people that are being marginalized. And in our country's history, from beginning to end, which we have a responsibility to not be afraid of, but to look in the face and go, okay, we got we to bring more heaven to earth. In our country's history, 
perhaps the greatest, and you could argue, but it doesn't matter. We're not in a contest of, of what's bad. Some of the greatest marginalization in our nation's history is between whites and blacks, right? We know this. That's not a shocker. And Jesus says, when you start to get in the business of healing that, putting your money where your mouth is, getting skin in the game, watch my power show up. In everywhere, in everything. Watch, this is just a good father affirming when a kid obeys. This is a good father affirming when the kid's doing the work we've been called to do. When, the, when, the, when your kids start to implement you and the, the things that are valuable to you, your values in your home, don't you just want to give them the world? You just want to give them the world, right? Why? That's instincts from God. And when we start to implement into our church what's important to God, watch the blessing of God come on this place. But it is not going to be easy. This type of reconciliation is not for the faint of heart. Racism is the, my opinion, the most demonic force running through the veins of our United States of America. There is, again, let me say this, so proud to live here. Can't believe God sovereignly put me in the womb of, a, of, of an American woman and I got to live in a country as free and blessed as this. This isn't me trying to be anti-American. Don't hear that. This is just me saying when kingdom and America are at odds, we speak up. When America and kingdom are working in tandem, we celebrate and speak up. I'll do both. I will celebrate our nation. I celebrate that police officer doing his job and guarding the right for people that want him wiped off the face of the earth to have their free speech. That's America, that, part of what makes it beautiful, right? But we still are in a country where there's marches for white people wanting black people to be wiped off the face of the earth. It's like, wow, man, we got so much work still to do. Yeah, but we passed the Civil Rights Act of 1960. Praise God, let's celebrate it. But guess what? We got so, so much more work to do. So you gotta, you gotta ask this question. And I have to ask myself this all the time because it's counterintuitive to who I am. Do I wanna be a peacekeeper or do I wanna be a peacemaker? Because there is a huge difference. I know those terms sound synonymous, but Jesus, y'all, was not a peacekeeper. But he was the essence of what it looked like to be a peacemaker. James would, would say this about his, his brother Jesus. He said, those who sow in peace will raise a harvest of righteousness. I don't know about you, but I want a harvest of righteousness. I want my kids righteous. I want my family righteous. I want my friends righteous. I want my church to be really genuinely righteous. I want to raise a harvest of righteousness. But guess what you do on the front end? You're people who sow in peace. I want my kids to hear messages like this. And I want when they're at my funeral to remember. They're not going to remember anything I gave them monetarily. You know what they're going to remember? My dad spoke up. My dad defended the defenseless. My dad was unafraid to go into the margins and show mercy and love and empathy and compassion. My dad put his money where his mouth was because he believed in causes that were outside of himself and just our family. I want to go to my grave with my kids having anecdotes like that, but guess what? It's going to cost me a lot. Being a peacemaker cost Jesus his life, right? It cost him his life. And then he invites us in. He doesn't ask us to get crucified, Roman crucifixion style. That work is finished. But he says, now you as my disciples, little Christs, now I want you to follow me. And I want you to do what you saw me doing. And here's the deal. Jesus doesn't love black people any more than he loves white people. But he will show a disproportionate amount of grace to whoever's being marginalized and ostracized and oppressed at any season in any culture, whether it's individual or national. And then he says, you get involved in that.
Jesus doesn't love poor people any more than he loves rich people. But guess who's typically marginalized and ostracized and oppressed? This is why the Bible just talks about helping the poor over and over and over and over and over and over and over. And Jesus just comes and does it, asking nothing in return. He's showing a disproportion. Jesus in the gospel showed such a disproportionate amount of grace to women than he did to men. Jesus doesn't love women any more than he loves men. But guess who was highly oppressed and marginalized and ostracized? It was always the women. And so Jesus just comes and, 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 and the, the, the biggest odds he's almost at was the Jewish, J- Jewish religious leaders who were wealthy and men. And so I wonder how that we contextualize that into our country today and go, like, man, I am a privileged white man. And I do not apologize that because my creator sovereignly put me in that womb and said, this is what you're going to be in a very privileged country, in a very privileged era, the most privileged era in the history of the world. You're going to get to live in the wealthiest, most powerful country in the world. Do you think he did that so I could hoard and be proud of myself? No, he did that so Chad Brugman could make a difference. So I would have margin. I've got margin that comes with the privilege I was born with so that I could have skin in the game. It's my offering back to God for the beauty he gave to me. So what we get to do as a church is we get to say, who are the most marginalized, ostracized people in the 815? Let's go to them. Let's help them. White, black, Latino, Asian, whatever. That's not the, let's, let's help them. And Rockford's got a, a little bit of a history. I lived here for seven and a half years, and I, I saw some of the divides, even, even geographically sometimes, that came with this city. And I felt, for the seven and a half years that I lived here, I felt that unspoken yet very real hostility a lot of times between whites and, and blacks. And so I, I get excited about that. I'm like, we get a chance to be like Jesus. We get a chance to help heal a city. And it just starts one of us at a time going, God, would you give me the courage to be a peacemaker when everything in me just wants to be a peacekeeper? And can I just confess in front of all you, I am so by nature a peacekeeper. I just want us all to sing Kumbaya. I would love nothing more to just tell you all the promises of Isaiah 61 for you and all of you pat me on the back and go, isn't that Chad great, man? I just feel so great. And listen, we're gonna have those messages. That's part of church but again, would not be doing the pastoral duty necessary if we didn't take those promises in Isaiah 61 and go, they are for everyone. And if I have margin, if I have privilege, if I have resource, I gotta give it away. One act of love, one act of kindness, one act of charity at a time because it's an act of worship to God. You are following in your rabbi's footsteps. So when Jesus, and I'll end with this, I had so much to say, but I have to cut it off right now. You guys have been amazing. You've been so attentive. I only think a few people walked out. I'm impressed. Usually more than that on these days. Thank you. I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged. Jesus is walking with his disciples, and this is famous. If you've been in church very long, y'all know this. I'll just cliff note it real quick, but this is so important. The great peacemakers walking with his disciples trying to get back to, to home. And they're about to get to Samaria, right? And Samaria and first century Judea was the closest I can think of to what America, white and black, was Civil War era. If you wanna get a context for the contention, the separation, the hostility, the mismanagement of, of human beings. 
this, this was Judea and Samaria. They get to Samaria. Now, you can even still see some of the archaeological leftovers of these roads, but they had built roads. Doesn't Now, think about this. Doesn't this sound actually like smart stewardship? They built roads around Samaria so the Jews never had to walk through there. And they did it as a protective measure, a tribal measure, to what? Avoid conflict, bloodshed. Doesn't that on paper sound smart? If you're a peacekeeper. But what's the peacemaker of all peacemakers do when he gets to Samaria? Do you know what the text says when he's going, right before he goes to meet this woman at the well? It says he had to go through Samaria. Compelled. It's like, I have to go through Samaria. I spoke it into existence. I spoke those Samaritans into existence. I so love the world that I want all people to be saved. None to perish. And so he goes and he finds himself doing what no rabbi should do. It's the triple whammy of being a rabbi. He sits with a woman. She's Samaritan. And she's been married five times. Right? Like triple whammy. He just became as ceremonially unclean as a rabbi could be in that moment. His, his disciples were trying to get him to not go through Samaria. Like, okay, death wish, whatever. He goes, though, and he sits with someone so marginalized, so down and out, so forgotten. He sits with his enemy. She's shocked when he gets there. She, she alludes to it. Like, we can't, we, what, are we, what are you doing? We can't do this. We don't do this. We don't like each other. We hate each other. Why didn't you go around the road? He had to go through. Peacemakers get right into the middle of it and get skin in the game, even when he knows it's gonna make him ceremonially unclean. See, peacemaking on the front end will always cost you something. But here's what disciples of Jesus do. It's what he did. For the joy set before him, future joy, joy coming, he what? He endures the cross. He gets messy in the problem. Why? Because he knows joy is always on the other end of ministry of reconciliation. So we have to be a church that is in a posture of like, okay, God, for me and my family, what's this look like? Could you stir up some holy courage? Because I've been in peacekeeping mode for a long time. I'm just tired, God, and I just don't know if I want to get involved, and I don't want some friends to misjudge me, or I don't want them to think I'm that guy. Like, no, at some point you go, Jesus, what do you want me to do right now? And I can promise you this, if you're really asking Jesus that, his spirit will always lead you to bigger tables and shorter walls. We'll always lead you to that. So tonight, we get the privilege. We get the privilege of calling heaven to earth. And here's what's so special about our worship night tonight. It's being led by guys like Carrington to a predominantly white church. There's gonna be a tapestry of beauty that happens in this place tonight because of all of the work that it's done to make this staff and this team look more and more like heaven's gonna look. Can I just read you one more verse? This is in Revelations. It says this, John was having a big, he either had the Holy Spirit on that island or he had mushrooms, but either way, this book is crazy. I'm good with it either way. He said this, he goes, after this, I looked. He's, he has this vision of heaven. This is, this is the apostle John. I looked and before me, he's, in, he's seeing heaven, guys. A great multitude that no one could count. I don't know, that gets me excited about heaven. Like there's gonna be a lot of people in there you didn't think were gonna be in there. A lot. Like there's a great multitude that no one could even count. Now what's it say next? This is the key from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language together, one room, 
one area, one arena, standing, which is most important, before the throne, which we're going to do tonight, before the Lamb, which we get to do tonight. They were wearing white robes, and they were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out like we're going to do tonight collectively in a loud voice. But imagine every nation, every tribe, every language in perfect unity crying out, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels, too, were standing around the throne and around the elders and around the four living creatures creatures and they fell down on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God saying amen praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever amen we're supposed to do this together not apart there's a part of God's throne. If nothing else motivates you, this motivates me with, with holy awe. There's part of God's throne that doesn't get the praise due his name when we can't worship together. Every tribe, every nation, every color, every ethnicity, there's a part of his name that doesn't get the praise that he, he so rightfully due when we don't do the hard work on this side of heaven to reconcile so that we can all stand before our king and in that beautiful tapestry he originally designed, we can come back together and the focus isn't on each other and tribes and nations and hostility. The focus is on the lamb who was slain for the sins of the world. The focus is on the creator of the universe. We get a chance tonight to just try that and do that and say, Jesus, our hearts aren't perfect and our hearts aren't always pure, but we want to be those people. So we're going to come together and a predominantly white church is going to be led in some predominantly beautiful black gospel music, which I love because I'm ready to burn some calories tonight. Like, like, let's go. But even if you're in here and I say this with the most respect for your tribe, if you're as Swedish as Swedish gets and this, this just ain't cutting it for you in worship, all we want you to do is show up with the pure heart. I don't care if this is your posture worship, if you are before the throne of God. Now, ignore me, I might be sprinting by the end of the night around here. I grew up, right? I, I got energy, but, but, but I understand we have all kinds of expressions, but that is part of the tapestry of God. But if we all bring our hearts in worship and spirit and truth, the power of God is going to fall. Do not miss it. I made such a long plug again. Sorry, Eric. I'm going to pray. I just have to stop talking because I will talk forever because I get so passionate about issues like this. Will you put up that picture, that last one? It's a picture of Officer Ambrose Slaughter, Denver Police Department. Love this man. Had the privilege of meeting him once. And I just thought of, God, I, when I read that revelation first, what's, what's heaven and earth look like? And I just thought right there, minus the gun won't be necessary. The, the body armor won't be necessary but I just like this huge, powerful black man who gets paid to protect is just hugging this innocent, helpless little white kid. And I'm like, that's the heart of Jesus right there. That is just so beautiful. And I think tonight that's the type of spirit we wanna bring into this church. That's the type of beauty we wanna bring in to this church. And you're gonna watch God do miracles. So I end with this prayer. I pray this over myself every morning, but I pray it over all of us now. God, I pray that in 2022, you would make us an instrument of your peace. God, where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there's injury, God, let me sow pardon. Where there's doubt, let me sow faith. Where there's despair, let me sow hope. 
where there's sadness, God, let me sow joy. Oh, divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled, but I would be the one doing the consoling. God, I may not so much seek to be understood, but I would go out and try and understand that I would not so much seek to be loved, but I would do the loving. Here's why, because it is in the giving that we receive. It's in the pardoning where we are actually pardoned and it's in the dying where we are born to eternal life. So we pray this in the name of Jesus. We bless you and we bless your name until we meet again. And everyone said, love you guys tons. See you tonight, six o'clock. If anybody needs prayer, there will be people down here that would love to pray with you. God bless. You've been listening to Chad Brugman with the message, The Ministry of Reconciliation, which is part one of the series titled, Subversive. Thanks for listening.